I'm Travis Bader, and this is the Silver Core Podcast. Join me as I discuss matters related to hunting, fishing, and outdoor pursuits with the people and businesses that comprise the community. If you're new to Silver Core, be sure to check out our website, www.silvercore.ca, where you can learn more about courses, services, and products that we offer, as well as how you can join the Silver Core Club, which includes 10 million in North America-wide liability insurance ensure you are properly covered during your outdoor adventures. In this episode, I'm speaking with Shane Matheson, a third generation owner of Reliable Gun in Vancouver. We discuss how COVID has affected their business, dealing with the bombshell ordering council prohibition of over 1,500 firearms and growing, as well, what everyone can do to stand together and present a unified front during these uncertain times. I'm sitting down with Shane Matheson from Reliable Gun in Vancouver, and it's a long time coming, Shane. It's really good to have you here. Thank you very much for coming in and being on the Silver Core podcast. Thanks for the invite, Travis. I'm sorry it took so long to make it in here. You're not a busy guy at all, are you? Yeah, never have all that much free time, that's for sure. (laughs) Now, Reliable Gun, for anybody listening who hasn't heard of Reliable Gun, and I think most people who are listening to this podcast will have heard of it, has been around for a very long time. You're a third generation firearms business in the lower mainland here in Vancouver on, on Fraser Street. Can you give us a little bit of history about how Reliable got, got started? Sure. Um, Reliable was started by my grandfather in 1950. Before that, he was a milkman and had tinkered with guns since just shortly after the Second World War. And he got to be friends with a gentleman named Polly Bentley, who, for anyone who doesn't know, was the person who started Canadian Forest Products. Now, Polly was a fairly generous man and suggested to my grandfather that he should start a business in the firearms industry after he had built a few guns for Polly and had offered him a loan to start the business. And so with a handshake and $2,000 of borrowed money from Mr. Bentley, he started Reliable Gun. Wow. That was at 28th and Main at the time. Uh, We were at that location from 1950 till 1957. After 1957, we moved from Main Street over to Fraser Street at 26th and Fraser. And we were at that location until 1978 when we moved to our current location, which is at 16th and Fraser. So your grandfather ran the business, family business. Yep. And then your father said, hey, this is for me. Yeah, he uh, started working in the business when he was just a kid, full-time at the store from 1957, and he retired about five or six years ago. I'd been in there since 1992, and basically my brother and I, my brother joined us in 2000. Right. And from that time, he and I moved the business to where we are now, to what we are now, and dad retired after we had taken over in 2000. Yeah, you know, I remember my father talking about Reliable and he grew up, I guess, a few doors down from your mom in Vancouver mm-hmm. and yep. Re- Reliable's always been a go-to place for me, even though it's a little bit of a drive from, well, I grew up in Surrey, but definitely there's a reason why I go to Reliable and why we refer our students to go over to Reliable. You are a family business. You do treat people with a lot of respect, a lot of courtesy, and I know that any of our students that we send over, any new person looking to get into the firearms sport or into hunting are going to be treated well. We try to treat everyone with respect. I mean, 
without the people on the other side of the counter, we don't need to be there. We have to remember that everyone started with basically no knowledge and you can't expect them to come in and have everything figured out before they come in the door. It's not re reasonable to expect that from anyone. Yeah, and it's difficult and it can be off-putting. It's, it's an intimidating thing for a lot of people brand new to the sport to walk into a gun store and be like, geez, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm even asking for. I can totally understand that. And there was a stigma for a lot of years that it was an old man's sport with, you know, no room for kids or no room for women or no room for someone who's just getting started. You had to know everything before you got there. And we really wanted to change that in our store anyway, that everyone could be included. Didn't matter what your background was, whether you had people in your life who had shot in the past, or if you just wanted to try it because you thought it would be an interesting sport for yourself, whether you had experience or not. Well, yeah. And it is a family business, but you've also got a number of staff working there and you treat them like family too. It's, you really do get that feeling when you go into the store. Most of our guys have been with us for quite a while. Um, we're really lucky that because you treat them with respect and you ask their opinions on your business practices as you're going forward, they feel included in the decisions that are being made, not like they're just an employee. They have some input on the items we bring in for sale. You guys sponsor a ton of events too. I mean, I was doing a podcast with Taka Kuwata, Team White Rice, yep. and we're doing some videos in here as well. Got the thing. Nice sponsored shirt on is reliable front and center it across there, but yep. team white rice isn't the only thing that reliable sponsors. You guys sponsor and donate money to a number of organizations. Yeah. We sponsor lots of different shooting events, trap shooting events, sporting clays, skeet events. We do work with Boy Scouts of, of Canada. We set up many different things through the ALS society of BC for different shoots to sponsor. So many things that you can't even think about all when you're put on a spot sometimes. Oh, totally. And it's hard to talk about yourself. I know. Absolutely. Now there's one thing that I saw on social media, which I was definitely jealous about. And I thought, man, I wish I was working at Reliable right now because you guys went out with your staff and you guys did a pheasant hunt, didn't you? Yeah. That was sort of to celebrate our 70th year. We took the entire staff uh, on a guided pheasant hunt in Big Bar Guest Ranch. How was that trip? I mean, the pictures were fantastic. It, it was fantastic. We got hit a little bit with some weather because, I mean, it was in February, so the weather can be cold and windy and rainy in BC at that time. But we got hit with a little bit of snow and a little bit of bl blowing wind. But for the most part, we got pretty lucky. It wasn't really overcast. We had great birds. We had phenomenal dogs and had a really, really had a lot of fun doing it. You know, I try my hand at doing some pheasant hunting out here in, in Ladner and it's a, a very kind of tight knit closed community. And there was a charity auction and a friend of mine and, my, and myself, we uh, bid on a pass for two people to be a part of the gun club. So mm -hmm. we could take advantage of the pheasant hunting and man, you really do need a dog. Oh, to chase pheasants. Yeah. You'd be surprised. You can be standing in grass. That's only maybe six, eight inches high and your dog will be pointing at a spot in the grass and you look at it and think, there's nothing there. What, what What's wrong with this dog? And you walk over and you root your boot around in the grass and out pops a pheasant. And you're thinking, how did I not see that? There's, it, it was hiding in nothing. <laughs> it's 
amazing how they can hide. Man, I, I was out there. I remember one day I put in, I think it was 10 hours. And I thought, just no dog, just myself. I'm out there. I'm dedicated. I'm going to get myself a pheasant. Nope, nothing. So we went out and I said, talk to a friend and he's got a dog. What was it? A, uh, I think it was a German short hair pointer. Yep. Excellent pheasant dogs. Totally. Just not this one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this dog was so excited to get out there. And my buddy, he was uh, from the States and he says, oh, you know, what we'll do is, I've seen it done before. I'll have a really long lead on the dog. And so that if there's any pheasants in between us and the dog, the the lion will scare him up and and that, that'll be a part of our tactic here. I'm like, Jeez. I'm okay, sure. I, I guess I haven't done this before. Let's try it out. And man... That dog got itself so excited, gets out, took about three or four craps. He gets the, um, uh, the lead on it, big long rope and proceeded to run around him about four times in a circle and take off. <laughs> I just see the this guy's legs go straight up in the air, lands right in the pile of fresh dog crap. And that was the beginning of our, our using a dog on a pheasant hunt. That would have made for a long day. Oh, it was. It was an interesting day. I can only imagine. Oh man. I remember it not being reliable gun. I remember it being reliable gun and tackle. Yep. That was how we originally started. We sold everything from fly hooks and outboard motors to shotguns, rifles, Lee Enfields, M1 Garands, all that stuff all the way throughout. Back in about 2000 is when we really saw the writing on the wall that stores really needed to specialize. There was lots of really good companies that were doing an excellent job on the fishing side of things in Vancouver. And we didn't have the same passion for fishing that we did for the shooting sports. So we, don't get me wrong, I love to go out and fish, but I didn't have the passion to sell hooks. I didn't have the passion to sell reels and rods, but really had the passion on the firearms end of things. So on the sport shooting side, yeah. hunters, they'll have hunting season mm -hmm. and it's going to be really busy for you guys, Yep. but that's not going to carry your store all year long. No, exactly. Our, don't get me wrong, the hunters are, are the the guys that we originally built the store around. Right. And they're wonderful. We love them to death. Wouldn't trade anything for it. That's my biggest passion is the hunting side of things. I love going out, chasing birds, chasing deer, chasing elk. And I'll spend probably three months of the year hunting hard. I'd spend six, but I'm not allowed to. Right. I have a wife, I have kids, I have other obligations like running a business that I can't spend that kind of time being away from. But what really helps us out is the sport shooting community who are going to the range the rest of the year, not just for the five months of hunting season, are what carry us through the year. They get out, they play with their firearms, they go out, they shoot every weekend. They'll go out and shoot 100 rounds or 20 rounds or 10 rounds and just go up to the range and drink coffee with their buddies, whatever it happens to be. Those are the guys that keep us going because they'll come in every few weeks and they'll need a new cleaning brush or a new box of shells or want to see the latest new pistol that came out this year or a new scope, spotting scope, whatever it happens to be. And really from a business standpoint, it is a sport shooters that are really helping maintain the business like reliable for the hunters. hundred percent. Yep. Yeah. I would say they are, they make up probably 50 to 60% of our business uh, when it comes to actual dollars and cents as or the hunters who are going to be maybe 30 to 40% of what our, our income is for the year. So now here we are 2020 and we get 
big whammy of COVID, which of course it's affecting everybody all over the world. Yep. And in some ways it's been really tough on a lot of businesses. How, I think I have an idea of how you're going to answer this one, but when COVID first hit, how was that for a sporting goods store? It was interesting. It was a difficult time for us to scramble and adapt to what was required in order to keep everyone that was in the store safe, ourselves and our customers included. We did have a pretty good rush when it initially started and had to really change how we did business so that we could keep the populace safe. Right. And that was shutting the doors essentially. Yep. And- we had to shut the doors and basically go to an online ordering system and phone ordering system with basically delivery only. Uh, it was too hard for us to maintain safe distances from everybody when we had the number of people re- coming by and stopping at the store. Totally. And now I, I know when it first hit from the training side, man, we were inundated with calls, everybody wanting to get a gun now. I got to get my training. There's a fear. And I guess the idea was, well, maybe if I had to provide for my family, having a firearm would let me go out and hunt. Or maybe there's an American mentality of using the firearm if everything goes sideways up here. And I, I call it an American mentality, but it's a, it's a legitimate concern. Well, I'm sure there was some of that that was going on. Mm. For the most part, though, we found it was guys that were concerned that there was going to be a difficult time getting product going forward. With the borders closing, it was going to be difficult for them to get ammunition going forward in the year. They were going to have trouble finding scopes, whatever it happened to be Mm. for the next while. They saw the writing on the wall that it was going to be harder on the supply chain in the future. Right. And then a few weeks go by, the mad rush starts to die down. A couple months go into it and we have a big bombshell dropped on. Oh, yeah. The liberal government changing the rules on us overnight was a real big kick in the pants for, for all of us. I mean, it's not so much the loss in business as it is the loss of rights for all of us Canadians. It's amazing that they can do that without any parliamentary review or oversight. Just a stroke of a pen. Yep. Overnight, make a bunch of new rules, which are now just being analyzed with a microscope Mm -hmm. and being found wanting. I mean, whoever was behind putting these things together, it doesn't look like they had a background in firearms. They just had an idea of what they wanted to do. Yeah. It seemed that they almost like they were looking at a list of items that had negative connotations attached to it and figuring a way that they could make it disappear, thinking that that was going to save the world when realistically all it's done is made it harder for people who legally own the firearms. The guns themselves have been in the country for 70 plus years. There's hundreds of thousands of these firearms within the country that have, to my knowledge, never been a problem going back over those 70 years. Right. If the guns themselves were the issue, there would have been a lot more problems. Yeah. No, I hear you. And you're being very diplomatic. Yet to be a case of a trigger pulling a finger. Totally. You know, I look at it and it reminds me a number of years ago here in the city of Delta, then it was a corporation of Delta. The corporation said, I know, let's look at banning any new firearms business. 
don't worry. Anyone who's got a firearms business right now, you're good. You're grandfathered. But I think going forward, we're just going to ban any new firearms business. And so myself and the other business owners in, in Delta here, we went into Municipal Hall and had a meeting there with their councilman and the chief of police was there. And I had prepared for about a week getting all my stats and getting all my, my data together. And I stood up and I'm given my, my two bits and I forget the individual's name, but he says, Travis, Travis, hold on. I'm going to stop you right there. He says, everything you're saying, I agree with you. You're hundred percent correct. So, well, then what's the issue here? Right. I, I think if I'm making good points and you agree with me, so it's got nothing to do with whether I agree with you or I don't, this is politics. If we think that people want it, then we'll do it. We'll put it through. Luckily, common sense prevailed. They decided it eh, doesn't make sense. There is no reason to put this forward. And the hard fight from the other businesses here to allow new business in. And, you know, I was catching heat from some businesses. Some people are saying like, what are you doing? This is great. You're sitting on a gold mine, right? If we're the only people in town. Yeah, but it doesn't speak to the future. It sure doesn't. You know, what's better for the world than competition? You got it. You know. Competition drives business. Absolutely. Right? I I love competition. I love proper, good competition because it makes you want to think of the next thing. Right. To work harder. What's the angle going to be? What am I going to double down and specialize on? Right? And for Reliable, really, from my perspective looking at it, it was customer service mm -hmm. is the big double down. Right. You looked around and said, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to put tons of effort into the customer service. And as well on the sports shooting side, I'm wondering, and, and perhaps, I don't know, I'm just wondering out loud here, but I'm wondering if sports shooting might be able to be used in order to help turn the tide of the recent order in council. I hope so. I mean, it's really difficult to say whether the government's going to listen to reason on it or not. If you look back, we've had sports shooting going on in the country forever if these rules are left to stand, many of the disciplines that have developed over the last couple of decades are going to disappear. Mm -hmm. What that means to the country is you're not going to have international travelers coming up to shoot within Canada. You're going to have our athletes unable to be competitive on the world level, even things like the Canadian uh, Olympic trap team is going to have much more difficulty than they did before because there's now a stigma around shooting that the government's put onto them. Right. I remember years back, I'm like, you know what? I, I want to start a business. I want to do something on my own. I was really interested in rock climbing and whitewater rafting, mountaineering. And I thought uh, I was snowboarding. I, I want to do some adventure tourism type thing. And a friend was going to school and I don't know how legitimate this school was, but it was a school in adventure tourism. And they had all the uh, statistics on the different businesses and kind of the revenue they brought in. And the hunting and fishing industry just blew them all away. I mean, that exceeded golf. It exceeded, it's like skiing. You'd think, hey, there's a lot of money in that. Just blew them out of the water. And that's when I thought, hmm, maybe I should be looking at this uh, hunting and fishing industry. It's a lot bigger than people realize when you think about fishing, for example, you've got all the guys that will buy a boat just to go fishing. There aren't that many cheap boats out there. I don't know <laughs> where you find them, but I found them in most of the places 
they start at 30,000 bucks and go up from there. That's right. And that's for like a tin boat with an outboard on it. That's right. You know, you're not talking about anything that's going to be out on the ocean. Oh, bring on another thousand, right? Yeah, exactly. In the hunting side of things, I mean, you've got your guides, you've got your outfitters, you've got retail stores like ourselves, you have all the smaller communities that depend on the hunters that travel up to their hotels to stay and eat and they'll make their money from housing us, basically. Totally. Not everybody has a camper and a trailer or doesn't want to take a camper or trailer out to the woods to do it. So they'll stay in resorts. They'll stay in, in cabins that are set up on various concessions that are out there. And I think our government's very aware of that fact. I mean, if it was in this rinky-dink school's uh, stats and the amount of revenue that's brought in, they've made concessions for hunting with the new OIC. Yes. And when, when I look through, let's see if I can find it. I, I printed it out because I knew I wouldn't remember it. Uh, in section 117.15, this is in the criminal code, it says, in making regulations, the governor and council may not prescribe anything to be a prohibited firearm, a restricted firearm, a prohibited weapon, a restricted weapon, prohibited device, or prohibited ammunition, if, in the opinion of the governor in council, the thing to be prescribed is reasonable for use in Canada for hunting or sporting purposes. When I look at that, I'm wondering if free gun or PRS or service rifle or any of these other sporting events might be something that can be leaned on because they did that with, uh, what is it? 12.6, mm -hmm. 105 millimeter or less 32 and 25 caliber. And then they leaned on them for the things like the Walther OSPs and GSPs for Olympic target shooters and stuff like this. Yes. Right. And they actually wrote it in. It says for a prohibited device, when you look in the regulations, hang and barrel that is equal to or less than 105 millimeters in length, but does not include any such hang and barrel that is prescribed where the hang and barrel is for use in international sporting competitions governed by the rules of the International Shooting Union. Mm -hmm. So that was, and I think the International Shooting Union is now the ISSF, and I don't think they have anything to do with three-gun or any of the things that have been banned. I don't know. I think the ISSF and the International Shooting Union do have something to do with the shooting with AR-15s through like the DCRA, the Dominion uh, Canyon uh, Rifle Association should be looking at that because that's something that would be a good thing to look into. I don't know. And I'm no lawyer. I'm just, I'm looking at it. And that was just something that's popped into my head. And I, I noted that in the, under the last definition there, it's specifically named the International Shooting Union, mind you, under section 117, it says nothing about that. It just says for hunting or sporting purposes. Yeah. What do they consider sporting purposes is going to be the question. Right. Who knows? Play an armchair lawyer here. Yeah. And neither of us with a degree. No, exactly. With Reliable though, and having such a heavy market in the sporting world, now they're, they're talking and I don't see it flying through. Mind you, I didn't see an OIC coming through like this. They're talking about bans for handguns and they're going to abrogate control of that down to the municipal level. That's going to make it such a dog's breakfast when it comes to trying to figure out the legislation. It's going to be worse than what they have in the States. I got to wonder if that's part of the... The plan. You just make it so complicated that people are like, eh. Not worth the effort. Yeah. It's wouldn't surprise me. I wouldn't put it past the liberals to sit, to do something like that. What does this mean for reliable? We're still trying to figure that out. I mean, the, that side of the business was a very large portion of our revenue stream. I mean, realistically, the sport shooting side definitely subsidized what we were able to do on the hunting side. It allowed us the ability to keep as many nice hunting rifles available for sale throughout the year that 
would only turn once a year, whereas on the sporting side, you're going to turn those items over three or four times a year, which is what a business needs to do in order to remain profitable. Totally. How many people work at Reliable? We have 11 people on staff plus a couple part-time. Oh, and this affects everybody. All of them. Yeah, all of us. It's how everyone there feeds their family. Yep. Yes. Most have families. You've got a family. Yeah, I've got a young son. My brother's got two kids. Uh, Hermes, who works with us, has two kids. Nick has a kid. Warren has two kids. I mean, it just goes on and on. The rest of the guys are either don't have kids yet or trying to have kids. It affects quite a number of people in the long run. You know, we're getting phone calls from people, emails. Some people are trying to organize rallies. Uh, some people are going hard behind different gun rights associations, yeah. like the CSSA or the NFA or the CCFR. Right. From your perspective, what do you see as a possibility? I think we do definitely need to get behind the associations, whether it be the CCFR or the NFA or the N or CSSA. What we need to do is try to not spread ourselves or have any infighting amongst our associations fighting against one another. That's been our downfall over the years is too many fingers in the pie. Mm. And you got one group that doesn't agree with another group, so they're going to fight against one another where it turns their attention away from what they're and goal should be, which is to fight for all of our rights and freedoms. I've spent so long in the firearms industry, raised around firearms my entire life. I'm sure all of that infighting happens in every other business, but just because this is where my attention is, it, it seems like there's an abnormal amount of, we, we seem to eat our own. It feels that way. I totally agree. I mean, I've been doing this for 30 years and I can't understand how we can chase our own tail so much. It's time for us owners of firearms to band together as one rather than splitting ourselves apart. Yeah. Just remember that if you own just a over and under shotgun or side-by-side -side shotgun that you use to shoot grouse or pheasants or what have you, and think just because someone else has an, uh, an AR-15 as an example, that they're a bad person because they want that style of firearm. No, no. They're just another firearms owner who will stand up for your rights to own your side-by-side, -side, why shouldn't you stand up for their rights to own that AR-15? Yeah, and the sport gun shooters will say, oh, that person's a FUD. Or the 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 duck hunters will say, what do you need a semi-automatic centerfire for, right? Exactly, and it really shouldn't matter. You don't need a 400-horsepower car to go to the grocery store either, but you still want it. That's right. You know, it's the same mentality, in my opinion. And... It seems to be, I don't know if it's uniquely Canadian, but it seems to be amplified in Canada. I, I look in the States and I always, I think I've mentioned it before, Marty Hayes, he's got the Firearms Academy of Seattle. Of course, I'm in the in the training world and I, mm -hmm. I see how training companies work and you go to Marty's school and he says, here's how I do things. Here's why I think it's uh, the way to do things, but mine's not the only way. Go up the road check out the next school, check out the other, and he'll refer people readily over to other places. And he says, once you're done there, come on back. Maybe, maybe we'll pick something up as well. And there seems to be a different mentality on the business side, particularly in their firearms world, sort of in, they band together more 
in Canada, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because there's so many hoops to jump through to get a firearm that when people finally get there, they feel like there's something special. That could be it. Yeah. I, I don't know, but there is something there. And once they, and in the training world, of course, if you're an instructor, then there's ego that sometimes follows with that too. And right instructor of firearms. And it just seems to start amplifying more and more as opposed to trying to build business with other people. There seems to be a lot of trying to be the tallest tower by burning the other towers down. That's something that I've seen before. Yeah. You have to remember nothing makes you better than good competition. You got to be able to work within the industry that you're in with the people who are within your industry as well. If you've got two or three or five or 20 different places that are all in the same boat, there's no sense in all of you jumping off at the same time. It's yeah. just going to rock over and everyone's going to drown. Do you think this is going to help band people together? I really hope so. If this doesn't, we're dead in the water. Yeah. We're not going anywhere. We're going to may as well just hand them all over right now. Yeah. Cause it affects, I mean, the way it's currently worded, this affects basically every person with a 12 gauge shotgun. The way it's worded, yes. And whether or not we want to argue that the choke is a part of the bore or not, it's capable of discharging a projectile over 10,000 joules. That's another thing as well. You got some of these bigger caliber rifles that some people in the guiding community have been using for a number of years because they're in a place where they have to go in after wounded animals. They have predators that are quite interested in taking a chunk out of them that they have to defend themselves against. You've got to have them with these things out there to protect themselves. It was a, a foolish way to write a law. It shows the lack of knowledge on what it would encompass. Well, in a time when a lot of businesses are struggling with COVID, they're sure working hard at shutting down a large number of businesses across Canada. Who pay their taxes follow the rules of the law, fill in their paperwork the way they're supposed to and have been doing it forever. It's going after the wrong people. If they put the same amount of money into border protection, working to get firearms out of the hands of gang members and enforcing the laws that they already have, I'm moral for it. If you want to take a harder stance on illegal use of firearms within the country, hey, I'll stand behind that 100%. I agree. But banding the guy who has his name flash across the screen every 24 hours on a background check every 24 hours, it's chasing the wrong people. It sends the wrong message. Well, again, I think it all boils down to, this is politics. Yeah. Do, do, do we think it'll win us points? It is exactly that. It has got nothing to do with public safety. It has everything to do with buying votes. Yeah. And like the liberals have always said, never waste a good crisis. Never let a good crisis go to waste, yep. right? It's right out of the liberal playbook. It really is sad, but I think there's some positivity that can come out of this as well. Because as an entrepreneur, like yourself, yep. entrepreneurs tend to be consummate optimists. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, why would, they, why would we be doing this if we weren't? Absolutely. If you don't have a positive outlook on it, you may as well just lock the doors, walk away. Because you're not going to get anywhere. Mm -hmm. We're trying to find new ways to market and get our name out there to, to show everybody that, hey, you know what? Being outdoors and out shooting is not the worst thing to do. We're not bad people. For the most part, we're fantastic people. I you mean. Know, the the most vetted people out there. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And I think uh, shows like Meat Eater, Steve Rinella. He's a great spokesperson for our industry. I mean, he's very well-spoken. He looks like your normal, everyday, average guy. Yeah. He shows you that if you put your mind to it, you can achieve your goals as well. I mean, he's got a great message every time, every one of his shows. I really enjoy it. Yeah. Well, it's And it was a departure from where things were in the past with a lot of uh, heavy metal going and country twanging and people yep. running around in their vehicles and trying to sell hunting to the, to the masses in a TV format as sort of an adrenaline sport, which it isn't. To be honest with you, for myself, you know, I've been hunting since I was four years old, going out with my dad and my grandfather and, and now my son comes with me when we go out. It's not so much about the prize. It's the adventure of going out and seeing what's around you. Getting out, seeing the mountains, seeing the lakes, seeing the animals in their natural habitat, knowing where your food comes from. All these things play into it more than anything else. And I go out there, if I get a deer, that's fantastic. I'm thrilled. But if I don't get a deer, I'm not disappointed. I'm super happy just to have gone on the adventure and seeing parts of the country that most people are never going to see. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And the memories, the connections with the friends and family. Yep, precisely. You'll eventually get a group of people that you enjoy going out with and, and hunting with or fishing with or whatever your pastime happens to be that you just develop these lifelong bonds with. You, you'll never forget them. I find in day-to-day -day life, people tend to put up barriers. They portray themselves in a certain way that the wilderness strips you of. Oh, does it ever. I mean, you ever want to feel small? Go stand on the top of a mountain and look around. That's right. And think about if you fell off that mountain, what would change? Absolutely nothing. Exactly. Other than maybe the color of the ground. <clears throat> it, precisely. Right. You look around, the world would still spin, the animals would still be there, the cities would still be moving along. You realize how insignificant you are in the world. When I was mentioning that all of this drama that's coming up could bring some positivity as well, I'm watching COVID and it's causing people to double down on in the online world and that, that can be a positive thing for the consumer. In some ways it can. There's never going to be a replacement for actually touching something that you're going to purchase. There's some things that you can buy just based on the specs of it. Mm. Most rifles can be bought that way. A lot of handguns can, but some things can't. If you look at, say, shotgun shooting as opposed to rifle shooting, it's been equated to me that rifle shooting is science. You put your pieces together your machining is excellent. You develop your loads to such a way it's going to shoot where you expect it to. It's going to go there every time. With shotgun shooting, it's art because you look at the way a bird's flying and you have to calculate how long it's going to take from the time you pull the trigger for that shot to actually get out to where the bird is that is moving in a direction that is not constant. It can be going left to right, up, down, back, forth, sideways. And if you don't have a firearm that fits you, you're not going to do very well at it. And having that actual in-person touch and somebody who knows what they're doing help fit that firearm to you. Makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, no kidding. It really does. And it takes a long time to learn how to fit someone like that. I couldn't do it for a long time. It took me 10 to 12 years before I understood what it was to have a firearm that fit. 
What are some of the things that you're looking for? It's hard to equate. You have to look at a person's structure. Just because a person's six feet tall doesn't mean they need a stock length of X. They might have narrow shoulders, long arms, a short neck, a long neck, large jowls, thick head. You know, it just depends on a person's structure before you can figure out what's going to fit for them. And we all fit slightly different. Oh, I, I've been told I've got a thick head. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> One of my favorite rifles. It's uh, an Accuracy International, uh, fully adjusted, fit perfectly to me. I love shooting that thing. A lot of people get behind it and they just, they can't shoot it because they can't even get proper clear glass on the thing, just different body shapes. Yep. And I see now under the 10,000 Joule of Energy, Accuracy International. How do you like your new prohibited device? You got it. Yeah. 308, is this capable of producing 10,000 Joules of Energy? No. No. Is it poorly worded and listed on the OIC as a prohibited firearm? Yes. You got it. Absolutely it is. Again, it's getting people to write the laws without any oversight, without any political discussion, without any knowledge on the items that they're trying to control. You know, I did some horse trading in order to get that firearm. It was always kind of on my, my list of guns I really wanted, but I'm looking at what they sell for brand new retail. That model is about eight grand. Yeah. There's $8,000 that somebody who's gone through all the safety training, does training for government agencies, contracts with government agencies, daily criminal record checks and vetted that with a stroke of the pen is now forfeit. Got it. So back to the sport shooting, I'm thinking, I'm wondering, maybe somebody out there listening, they might have a, uh, some more insight on this one. I'm wondering if that's an option. Like I, I see the CCFR and the CSSA and they're going after different angles on the uh, bore diameter. Yeah. And I believe they're also doing a constitutional challenge in regards to how the law was drafted. Now I'm sort of out of the loop on exactly how they've worded their challenge. Uh, so I'm not going to want to speak on that necessarily. Right. Yeah. yeah I, I don't know how they've actually worded that. Well, that's an interesting one too. So over the years I've done consulting work for Crown and Defense Council. And on one instance, there is a, a, a reference hearing on a, on regulation that came through on a type of firearm and I was called into Opine. I was a subject matter expert on this firearm. And I go in there and speak the truth, explain exactly what I, what I know to be true and leave it for the trier of fact in order to be able to make their, their decision. I watched the firearms program they had since I had gone first, I was able to then sit in and listen to what the other fellow has to say. I did a lot of head scratching, wondering how that person could say what they're saying and still call themselves an expert. But you know, at the end of the day, you put all of that out there. It really didn't matter what their experts said as much as I may have disagreed with what they said. And I could be as bold as to say that I'm pretty sure the person knew that they were misrepresenting the truth, which is a nice way of- That's very political of you. You got it. It really didn't matter because the way that the- law is structured for that reference hearing as the judge explained it, if they go A, B, C, D, and that's the protocol that they have to follow in order to arrive at an answer and they followed A, B, C, D, but they arrived at an erroneous answer, 
That answer stands, provided they went through the process properly. Whether they got the, oh man. This so, shows we need to learn, teach kids in school how to follow instruction better. Well, totally. And and really, I think the game was rigged from the get-go. It sounds like it. Right. So we'll, we'll go through and we'll walk A, B, C, D as if we're supposed to, and we'll just come to our preconceived notion, and there's nothing that can be done about it. And in that case, the expert didn't have to say anything because I think the evidence that was given would support a conclusion that would, uh, I think uh, the hassle wander came down to ease of conversion. And, but regardless, the way, the way the hearing is set up, it's got nothing to do with right or wrong, just see if the process is followed. So I'm wondering if that's a similar thing here. I suspect we might be pushing rope. Yes. Mm. With this, with some of these challenges, unfortunately. Well, if we were to look on the positive side. Yep which we're going to try. Sure. <laughs> it's tough. I mean, it's tough. It is, especially when you get dealt below as heavy as we did in the last couple of weeks. The one thing I keep repeating, whenever something gets really tough, overwhelming, I just in my head, I can, I can, I can, whatever it is, right? Physically, usually I do that when it's physically tough. If I'm climbing and I just feel, I'm going to fall off this rock face. No, I can, I can, I can, right? That's the same thing when you've got a moose down on the ground. I got to get this back to there. I can do this. Yeah. There's a way I can do this. I'm going to make this happen. I can do this. I don't know how I'm going to win. But I'm going I, to win. I just know I'm not going to lose. Yes. Right? That's the way to look at it. It is. And as an entrepreneur, as consummate optimists, we have to take a look at what we're dealt and what we currently have and ways that we can use that to the advantage of everyone. Because really, if this helps the client, if this helps the customer. Yep. It helps us. Absolutely. Without the customer, we don't need to be there. Mobilizing people. I see it is a huge positive way, maybe not a positive way, but if we're to drive a positive out of it as a way to mobilize the masses to stand up and say, look at this isn't right. Right. So I, I see that as one. I think that's the best thing that we can look at. We have to get people to finally get mad enough that they will get off their couch, write a letter to their MP write a letter to the PM's office, write a letter to the Minister of Safety, Public Safety, and explain to them that they're upset with the courses that they're taking, that they realize that they don't think it's going to accomplish what they have said it's going to. I also think making an economic case for it has got some power to it. Mm -hmm. Every Everything needs a victim, and in this, the victim is not just all the, the gun owners, but the businesses... And it's Canadians in general, because if they can outlaw firearms with the stroke of a pen, what's to stop them from outlawing high-performance vehicles with the stroke of a pen? Or skydiving from the stroke of a pen, or whatever it happens to be. And that's the scariest part. And that's the part that I think people who are intimately affected by this need to be able to relay to those who aren't. People have to remember the most important thing in the phrase firearms rights isn't firearms, it's rights. It's the rights of all Canadians to own what they want to, as long as it's not illegal within the country. If they want to own three dogs, own three dogs. If you want to own five horses, own five horses. As long as you're treating them properly, treating them with respect and with the proper care and attention, I see no reason to, to go differently. One of the biggest things you can do is join the Conservative Party of Canada. Put your name down on um, 
volunteering for your local riding to push your rights forward. Put your time in. If you don't have the monetary ability to, to donate, donate your time. Everyone could use boots on the ground. A little bit of help here and there, shaking hands or spreading the word, so to speak, that's going to help too. And that's, that makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. The old saying, nothing attracts a crowd like a crowd. Absolutely. Right? Now, is it right now the time to go out and have big rallies? Probably not with COVID-19 and social distancing that's happening throughout the world everywhere. But we have to be loud and let people know that we exist. If people see that firearms ownership shouldn't be a hidden secret anymore, that you're a firearms owner, be proud of that fact. Be proud of the fact that you own them, that you use them, that you safely go through and aren't a lunatic. Let them know that you're, you're there. I think that's our, one of the biggest detriments is the firearms owners for a long time really have hid, right? Oh, absolutely. I think that's been a, a big problem with what we've done over the years. We've skulked out and didn't want to tell people that we own them. There's a social stigma attached with it. It sure feels that way. And that's been almost led in. I can remember hearing stories of people telling me that firearm safety and like hunting safety was taught in schools back in the sixties and seventies, right. but it's disappeared. And if it was still there, I think there would be less fear of firearms as an item. If people know how to use the firearms, I think they should teach their kids how to safely handle a firearm, regardless of whether or not they have any intent of ever owning one. That doesn't matter. At some point in their life, they're going to come across one. And if you take away the stigma of it and the fear of it so that they know what to do if they come across one, to make sure that they can prove that it's unloaded, make sure it's safe and tell someone about it so that they can uh, remedy the situation rather than pick it up, point it around and pull the trigger. Cause that's the first thing you want to do is pull the trigger on it. They're ergonomically designed for your finger to be right there on the trigger. Absolutely. Absolutely. In the States, they have the Eddie Eagle program. Stop, don't touch, tell an adult, right? And they start kids young. Perfect. And, and I think we need to do more of that in Canada because they are out there. I mean, be you get out of farm or, you know, cousin Timmy's uncle or whatever, yeah. whoever it happens to be. Little Jimmy down the street, maybe his granddad had one in the barn that they've forgotten about. They do exist. They're going to be around. So maybe on top of once social distancing measures have uh, kind of subsided, maybe taking a friend out to the range. Absolutely. Talking openly about firearms. And, and that's a tough thing because, uh, you know, I think firearms owners have, like you say, skulked in, in the shadows for such a long time, then to stand up and talk openly, everyone says, who's this gun nut? Who's this kook? Well, that's the thing. We've got that stigma of, uh, of being a kook or, or a weirdo because we have interest in that, but it's truthfully, where generally less accidents happen with firearms than they do with baseball season every year. You know, you go to anyone who works in the hospital as an ER nurse, they're going to tell you there's more people injured playing baseball in beer leagues every May, except for this year, <laughs> than probably get hurt with firearms in Canada. Well, the statistics are pretty clear when you look at it, what's actually killing people. 
and it's not firearms, no. right? But firearms are scary. I mean, you're more likely to drown in a backyard pool or accidental poisoning. I don't know. You go into the kitchen sink and you're drinking the wrong thing. Uh, surgical misadventure. And I oh, love that's a love one. Yeah. I love the way they call it that surgical. You're otherwise fine. You go in for a routine surgery and doctor makes a mistake. Whoops. You walk out dead. Right. Yeah. But firearms do have that scary connotation that I think has been intentionally bred in for 100%. a very long time. People don't think about firearms. They feel about firearms. Very much so. Whether you look at what's been taught in schools or whether it's what people have been seeing on the media. And I think the media has a big part to play with it because it doesn't matter how things go. Anytime a crime is committed, there's always a picture of a gun in the media, mm. whether it was a robbery or it was a murder or what have you. And it doesn't matter whether it was a, a guy ran people down in the car, a murder happened. So there's a picture of a gun mm. and that gets bred into everybody's brain. Right. It's got a visceral sort of response to it. Absolutely. Right, wrong, or otherwise, it's it's unfortunately the way they've they've done it for as long as you and I have been around. Yes. And when people really get into the argument against firearms, I don't try and convince them otherwise, because I think you're really right. You say they don't think about it. No. They feel about it. Absolutely. And I'm not going to change that person's feelings. There's no way you can. No, but I can be respectful and I can listen and I can comport myself in such a fashion that they can maybe think differently the next time. And offer them the opportunity to come and if you'd like to try one to help you get over the fear of it, please come on. I'll gladly take you out. Mm -hmm. It's something that I think more people need to experience to understand that they're not as scary as what they, they are perceived as. So now we have to wait for an new interpretations and find out if there's going to be talk of buyback or if there's going to be this whole fathering or what they're going to do now. Have yeah, they said anything about grandfathering? I've noticed that it's disappeared off the website recently. I, I don't know what's going to happen. Apparently they're not aware of the Wayback machine. Right. The internet archive. Yeah. Yeah. But I noticed that that, that word has disappeared off of the, off the RCMP website in the last time I had checked. Honestly, I, I think our best solution here is what you're saying is get out there, vote, volunteer, donate to a party that the conservative party yep. has come out and said, if we're voted in, we're going to repeal this. Absolutely. And I think they're our best chance of having any success moving forward on the firearms rights at this point. A court challenge will be dragged out for years. Yeah. They're going to use our money against us. Yeah. The government has no money. It's all ours. That's right. That's the old saying about fighting with pigs, right? Yeah, exactly. Sooner or later, you're going to get covered in mud. That's right. And they're good at it. They're yeah. used to it and they like it, right? Exactly. Is there anything else that we should be talking about? Let's turn it around to a little more positive side now. Yeah, I think so. Because, you know, there is all that doom and gloom in there. There are some positives. Some of them that uh, I think I'm going to think through a little bit further before uh, really, really popping it out there. But I think there's uh, some other things that are coming out of this that can be viewed as positive. Right. So uh, I might be putting together a blog post on that one. Excellent. But other positives are, so we've got uh, spring bear. Yep. BC said hunting is a. An essential service within the country uh, or within the province, sorry. Hunting and fishing both uh, are going to be uninhibited throughout the year. So they're not going to stop us from doing it. Right. That's a positive. An absolute positive. Yes. Uh, we've got spring bear, we've got turkey, we've got hunting season coming up. It's pretty easy to social distance in the middle of the bush. 
super easy. Just get yourself out there, touch as few gas refill stations as possible. Exactly. And if you're not staying in a hotel or something, even better. Absolutely. I actually intend to take my son bear hunting this weekend. We're going to go out and see if we can't find one on one of the avalanche slopes. Good for you. We're, uh, we're looking at the same thing this, uh, uh, next week after. Excellent. My son's very excited. My daughter's right into dance. She loves being out there with us. She's not quite as into hunting no. as, uh, as the rest of us. But, but she but likes to be out there. She likes to be out there with the family. Perfect. I guess the other positives we can pull out of this is it is raising awareness for everybody, whether they just, because I've always looked at it and I say, you know, you got the people who just hate firearms. You got yes. the people who just love firearms, right? And then you got everyone else. And that everyone else is the majority. Oh, absolutely. They just don't care. Yep. They're right? apathetic to it either direction. But now there's a reason for them to care. When they look at what can happen with a stroke of a pen, how rights can be just stripped overnight, they now have a reason to start caring. And that's the largest group that really needs to look at it. And quite often, those are the ones that would say, I don't care. It doesn't bother me. I get rid of them or they have them as long as you're not bothering me. But if the second that you can make it personal and it comes back to them and they say, hold on a second, if that can happen to that group, the most highly vetted people in Canada, daily basis, going through background checks, criminal record checks, What's to stop them from doing it to me? Right. What's the next step? Yep. And I think there is a positive, provided the firearms community is able to conduct themselves in a way that's going to be beneficial to everyone. I think we can really start speaking to those masses. It would be amazing if we could get them to understand the fact that this is just one option for them and that there are these other steps that could be taken forward. It's like saying 1% of Harley Davidson's are used by motorcycle gangs. So therefore we should ban motorcycle or Harley Davidson motorcycles because those are clearly a dangerous motorcycle, more so than any other motorcycle that exists. It's just about as. But in that argument, it poses, there is a a level of risk, right? Absolutely. The motorcycle gang is going to be a riskier endeavor mm-hmm. to go after than absolutely. perhaps a person who abides by all the rules anyways. It, that's absolutely true. Right. Absolutely true. And just like any game animal out there that takes a path of least resistance, that's why we have game trails, right? Yep. That's right. People are the same way. And if they see the easy path, that's They're the way they go. Going to walk down that usually. So maybe it's time we weren't so easy. Agreed. Does Reliable have any uh, big sales coming up? Not that I've got planned at the moment. <laughs> we're just trying to stay afloat. We're trying stay to stay afloat right now and still reeling from the the blow we were dealt on May 1st there. Well, I know you've got your uh, your annual around Christmas time. Yeah, that's our main sale every year. Uh, that's our annual you know customer appreciation event that we do. It's always uh, a lot of fun. And whenever we can, we're usually out there. Yeah, you guys always are out giving us a hand with that. It's awesome. Well, and it's a lot of fun. And you've guys have bagpipers out there and barbecues going. And I mean, it's, uh, it's quite, quite the event. Yeah. You got people lined up around the block camping overnight. Sometimes. Yeah. We've been pretty fortunate that it's very well attended. It's a lot of fun. We try to make it as fun as we can for the, for everybody that's there. We bring heaters and stuff because we know it's cold out there. Yeah. Unfortunately, the city won't let us set up tents for you guys. I apologize. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the city doesn't like tents, right? 
<laughs> that's a totally that's different. A whole that's, other song. <laughs> that's a whole other way we could go on this. Well, why, why don't we look at wrapping it up here? All right. Be sure to check out Reliable Gun in Vancouver. Yeah. www.reliablegun.com. And you got a phone number? 604-874-4710. Shane, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Hey, thanks very much for having me, Travis. 